0: Appreciate that good prayer. Uh, Billy said just the same thing that was on my mind today. He said it well. Amen. We uh, have a card I forgot to give, Jason, but I'll read it. Uh, uh, We can never express our appreciation for all you have done for our family. This is just one of the many times you have supported us. We are so blessed to be part of this church family. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Who knows and will bless your work? The Melvin Slatton family. And so uh, remember them. A lot of good memories and a lot of good things. And uh, remember our uh, uh, Valentine's banquet. It's this Saturday at uh, 5 o'clock. And uh, so sign up out in the foyer where they can get a head count. Uh, we always have a good time, and you can just ask anybody if you've never been. I think we enjoy it and have a good time. A lot of laughs, and uh, it's a nice meal and good time. So, plan on being with us. We, we've really enjoyed it, and uh, Terry and Rebecca always entertain us and uh, get us going. So, uh, we appreciate that. And,. Uh, you know, it's it's been mentioned about uh, you know, praying for people. We always have every Sunday, I, I there's not a Sunday it goes by that we don't have a big list of prayer. Some of them you don't even know. You know, I know that they call ours and different ones and but it's good that they ask us to put it on the prayer list. And uh but uh a special prayer uh, you know, it's mentioned for Bobby, uh and and Billy Smith. Uh it, <clears throat> it's you know I I got to thinking the other day after I've been down there that, you know, in the last two or three years, we've lost a lot of family. A lot of church family. You know, and to me, it's family. I got to thinking, why is this bothering me so much? You know, I should be getting used to this, you know. But you don't. And I got to thinking, well, they're my family. I stood there with Bobby and and we were talking, and all I could do was hold his hand and cry. And, uh, and, and then go up on the mountain and, and, and see Brother Billy, and he's <clears throat> heartbroken because he's got the news, too. And, uh, but, you know, I got to think of that, and it is in the last two or three years, there's 15 to 20, I guess. I've lost count. But uh, it is, it's family, and it means something. It means a whole lot. Wow. And, uh, but just like the card said, you know, what would you do without family? What would you do without the church family? I'm so thankful that we have that and we're able <clears throat> to offer that in what little bit that can be done. And they're not words, there's not words to say when someone, but you know, Uh, But to see people, they're not complaining and not uh, regretful. They just, uh, you just don't know what to face. I just said, well, uh, Brother Bobby, you're fixing to find out about all this faith that we've been talking about for a long time. And he said, I sure am. So, uh, remember them. God bless. But like Brother Billy prayed, you know, we... Uh, those things are sad and we need to take part and we need to sympathize that's, uh, that's what caring in the church is is loving and suffering and being happy and rejoicing and crying with each other but when you see all the kids it's, uh, coming on I said that I think it was last year when I was talking about the number we'd had that had passed away but I said we've had eight births <laughs> we had new eight little babies that we didn't have a year ago and so I said, if we stopped everything, or would you go back to five years ago or ten years ago if you could? And I said, you know, i got to think about that. No, I wouldn't do that because they wouldn't be here. Amen. They wouldn't be alive. We, we may not be sick. We might not be old. But they wouldn't be here. They wouldn't exist. And so, if you're given a choice, no, <laughs> right. no, I wouldn't do it. And so... uh. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. Amen. We're in, maybe today's message will help us. <laughs> oh, Elijah. He's getting, I can relate to him. I'm already jumping on what Elijah was towards the end here. But we'll get to that. Maybe it'll make us all feel better. I hope so. But we're in in 1 Kings. We're continuing. Two weeks ago, we started You know, we started talking about uh, Solomon. and and how great Solomon was to begin with, and, and how close he was to God. and You know, when God asked him what did he want, and he told him just wisdom and knowledge is all he wanted. And God was so pleased with it that He gave him, He made him the wisest man in the world, and He also made him the richest man in the world that he didn't even ask for. And he had all that that was there that God had blessed him with, and then He let it just get to him. He started looking at the world, and he started taking in these heathen, pagan wives, and just just overindulging in everything that he had. And they influenced him. They got him to building them altars for their gods. He put up with it to start with. When he should have squashed it right off the bat and said, no, you're not going to bring that into my kingdom. We only have one God, and you're not bringing those filthy things in here, and we're not going to worship none of those ugly looking things. But no, he didn't do that. And he gave in and he built them altars. And after a while, he finally got to just sort of go along with them and helping them out with it. And that was his downfall. And that's why when you read Ecclesiastes, he says all is vanity. All is vanity because none of it was worth anything because of where he got to. But now then, we're in the part of 1 of, of, uh, Kings. In... Uh, I hear, Deliverance will come, I put under that, because that old song we sung a while ago, you know, if you notice that song, the first three verses, the old man's climbing up the mountain, he's carrying a pack, and he's said, Deliverance will come. Deliverance will come. When he gets to the fourth verse, he hollers out, Deliverance has come, and he crosses the mountain there. <laughs> Amen. But we're going to get on Elijah here is where we are. Chapter 17 through 19 is basically where the message is from uh, in those chapters. 17 through 19. And now, follow along with me. I'll be moving through there. There's a lot of miracles. There's a lot of things that Elijah did in those three chapters. But we're introduced to the prophetic ministry of Elijah right here in chapter 17. Now, Elijah wasn't the first prophet. There was other prophets, but he was the first one to perform miracles. Now then, he could perform miracles and he performed many of them. But now, why, uh, uh, why was miracles? Why did they have a miracle? Why did God give Elijah this kind of uh, uh, talent or ability to have miracles? Well, if you'll note that, that God was still in the midst of these people. Now, they had gotten way away from God. But there was still a remnant of them left. There was always going to be a remnant. Uh, Brother Leonard says that in Sunday school. There's always a remnant left. And there was a remnant left here in their midst. And and he wanted their attention. And he wanted to demand their attention. And he allowed Elijah to do this to shake them up. To get them to realize how far that they had come from God. How far the God that led them out of Israel and, and all these things. What they were doing then. They were... In the camp of Baal worship is where they were. They were in the same boat as Solomon was, and he wanted to shake them up and let them see. This is where you are. This is where you used to be. I want to see this miracle is going to shake you up and let you see the power of God that you think that ugly little old pagan god that you're worshiping over there is going to do you any good. I'm going to show you what it is. But uh, this is why he allowed this. But. You know, I've asked this question before, but I, I said, you know, were, were you ever closer to the Lord than you are right now? Right at this moment, Are you were you ever closer to the Lord than you are this moment? If you were, you've backslid." Now, I want you to examine ourselves. When we do the communion, what does it say? It says, examine ourselves. I believe we need to examine ourselves. I got to thinking myself here. I said sometimes I look back and I see a better person somewhere in the back of myself. And I have to look at these things and I have to examine myself. And I have to ask God for forgiveness to love me and bring me back to where I was at one time. That's why the Bible tells us to examine ourselves. Because we are, we're human and there's times that we can look back, and I was a better person two years ago, or ten years ago, or three days ago, or whatever it was. But I've slipped. I'm not there. And so the question is if you're ever closer to God, ever, then you are right at this exact moment, and you were, we've backslid, is where we are. May this temporary, and that's what we want it to be. But we have to examine ourselves. Solomon backslid. Solomon definitely at the end of his life, he could look back, and that young man that told God all he wanted was wisdom and knowledge, he could say, I was a much better man at that time than I am now. And he needed to have done that and to examine himself. But here, in this uh, Elijah, he's an important figure in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Elijah is. He's one of the greats in the Bible. Is Elijah here. John the Baptist, he came, it said, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. It's what we're told in the New Testament. Some even thought that John the Baptist was Elijah reincarnated here. And then then Elijah, if you'll remember Jesus on the Mount Transfiguration, who was the two that was with him? The the disciples saw them. They recognized them. They knew who they were. And yet they lived hundreds of years before they did. It was Moses and Elijah. That was the two that was with him. Elijah, man, he's up there with them. The prophet, the, the law and the prophets is what they represent. And Christ is the grace and salvation. Those three right there the law, the prophets, and grace and salvation was there on Mount Transfiguration. But that's what Elijah represents is the prophetic age that was here, that was uh given to him at this time. And, and, and so he's a, a powerful character in the Bible here. And, and we'll get a little later on. And you know, he got so down and, and and out that he wanted to die. He wanted to die. What happened to wonderful old Elijah? He's only one of two in the Bible. He didn't have to die. And uh, we'll get that later on in 2 Kings. But he, he he was so special that God just took him on home in a whirlwind. <laughs> Amen. He was very privileged there. You know, but... but and he may even be the one in Revelation, the 11th chapter. There's a uh, the story there is about the witnesses, two witnesses that it talks about. And it sure sounds like it's Elijah and Moses is who he's referring to because who shuts the, the rain up in the sky and so forth. So he may be one of them that it's referring to in Revelation here. But Elijah, he was a rough character. He was a rough-edged reformer. And he challenged the people to return to God. Return to God. That was His message. Return to God. You know, and and I think we need to do that a lot as a church, as a people. You know, everybody, well, you asked, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I've been saved. I don't believe all that. But if they were, we need to return. We need to do some returning here if we are, to know (laughs) where people would know it there and not just wonder about it, you know. But we're given many uh, warning signs we're, we're giving uh, directions from people that, that know better to listen to them, and we don't do it. Let me give you a, an example. It's a story here that we can relate to it, uh, pretty good, but it was a, there was a man, he was piloting a plane, and he was about to crash. And against the advice of the air traffic controllers, uh, they told him to take a different route because, and not go through the storm because it was dangerous. And they, they told him, and they warned him over and over. But he decided to choose on his own because it was the easiest way to go. He was in a hurry. He didn't want to spend the extra fuel money that was going to take him. He knew he was advised by people that knew what they were talking about. He said, don't go through the storm. You go around it, we're advising you. But it was up to him to decide. So his against their advice, he decided he'd go through the storm. So he took through the storm against all their advice and he, th- he got to thinking, well, who are they to tell me what to do? Uh, they don't know what situation I'm in. They don't know how it affects me. What's their job to tell me what to do? I've been through some rough times before. What do they know to tell me how to do this? <laughs> have, we, have we thought of that? Would somebody tell me how to live? What, what I should do on these days? You know, but... Uh, <laughs> But the, the condition's here. And he flies into the storm. And he gets he gets into the storm here, and, and he's looking around and it's getting bad. And he looks over in a corner and he, his eye catches an old parachute that's just covered with mothballs that's been there so long. And he starts debating in his mind whether he should put the parachute on or not. And then he thinks, no, I can do it myself. I don't want to give in and put that parachute on. I don't even know if it works or not. And so he debates back and forth. He says, I'm going to be my old person. I'm going to make it through this. I can do it without that help. I don't need that parachute. I don't need that air traffic control. I can do it myself. I can make it through this. I've done this before. And so he makes a decision back and forth. And he made the wrong decision. After they were cleaning up from the fire and the wreckage and they had to get dental records to identify the man, they looked over and all that was left in the wreckage was one old parachute that was still laying there. And the men got saying, well, why did he put the parachute on? He had to know how to use it or he couldn't have got his pilot license. He had to know how to use this parachute. But he made the wrong choice. He didn't need it. He didn't need advice from nobody else. He knew how to do it. He knew how to fly. And he didn't need nobody else's advice. These people here that Elijah was talking to, many of them, they didn't need advice. People today in the world, they don't need none, do they? They don't need the Bible's advice and they don't need God's advice. I feel so sorry for them. Where are the Elijah's today? Where are the Elijah's? We need some... Uh, Rough-edged, crusty, (laughs) coming on the scene like him. But he was courageous. He was fearless. He totally trusted his God here. And then he was definitely in the minority, though. He was in the minority. You know, we say that a lot today, don't we? We're in the minority. That's nothing new. (laughs) When I get to feeling sorry for myself, I think, well, my goodness, here's Elijah... One against 450 false prophets in a few minutes is what he he was definitely in in, in the minority here. But he was telling Israel that God was their only hope for the world. And it is today. And it is today. If they don't listen, if they don't put their parachute on, if they go on and fly through the storm and they think they can handle it themselves and that they don't nobody know how they feel and they're going to take their own course well then it's up to them. It's, it's, it's on their shoulders. But, but Elijah was telling them here. He was telling them. But he wasn't intimidated by these false prophets. He wasn't intimidated by their false gods. He wasn't intimidated by the, the evil rulers that was threatening and killing these people here. His name, Elijah, even means the Lord Jehovah is my God. You know, and it tells us in Acts 4 and 12, it says that there is no other name under heaven Let me read it. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Young folks, you don't have to be saved under Muhammad. You don't have to be saved under Buddha. You don't have to be saved under all that other bunch of garbage. But under the Lord Jesus Christ is the only name that we're to be saved under. It tells us plainly here that that's what it is. But... You know who rules America? Elijah was standing before him. Who rules the Israel at that time? Who rules America? Who brought them to the point where they are now? Who put the, the burden on? Who inspired the people with a tremendous desire for freedom? Who did that? Who gave them the idea that we would rule from the bottom up instead of the top down? Who rules America? Who has always ruled it? And who will rule it from now on, no matter what we do? But here, Elijah, he takes on Ahab. Ahab was one of the most evil kings that ever existed in Israel. And along with his wicked wife Jezebel. And what do we call somebody that we don't think much of a woman? She's a Jezebel. We all use that all the time and that's where it came from. She's so evil here. But God, He prepares Elijah for the job. Now, starting in 17 here, chapter 17, the miracles that go on here, in 17 and verse 1, this is where he tells, he says, As the God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. He said it will not rain for three and a half years it wasn't going to rain. He said it will not rain until I say it's going to, and that's when God tells me it will. He tells Ahab that here. And then in verse 4 of that same chapter, look where God, He sends him down to the brook of Sheriff, and He says, I commanded the ravens to feed thee. God commanded animals to feed him. They brought him bread and meat morning and evening. And God had commanded them to do that. You know, animals are great. They're wonderful things. And uh, people say, are they going to be in heaven? Well, if it takes an animal to make you happy, they'll be in heaven. They'll be there. But God created them for us and for our enjoyment. And if it takes it, well then it'll be there. But He commanded them to do this. And then on over into verse 14 was where he comes in, Elijah does, and God sends him to live with this widow here and her son. He's to live in a room in her house. And he tells the widow, he says, you know, give me a drink please. And then he hollers for her to bring him uh, a cake, uh, some bread. And she tells him, all I have is a little handful of meal. And you see these sticks that I'm gathering, we're going to make a fire, and I'm going to Cook this little last bit I've got for my son and myself, and then we're going to die because we have nothing else. Well, then Elijah, he looks at her, and in verse 14, he says, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, Amen. neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. That was a miracle. He was telling that right there, I believe, is the Spirit never runs out. The Spirit is never going to run out for Elijah here. The meal was going to be there day in, day out until it rained here because God had told him and it did. She lived and ate and ate the meal daily. And then the next miracle he does is over in uh, raising the dead son here in that same chapter. The The widow's son gets sick. He dies. He must be young because she's carrying him. Elijah goes and takes the child in his arms and he goes up to his room upstairs. He lays him on the bed and he stretches out over him three different times and he prays to God to bring life back into him. To bring life back into this young child here. And God answers him. God answers it. You know, Elijah, you'd think that maybe he's getting to think he's powerful, but no, he was learning that he was nothing and that everything was God. He knew that that meal wasn't there, but God provided it. He didn't do nothing. He just prayed to God. He knew this child was dead. He knew he didn't do anything but just demonstrate and pray to God, lay on top of him. He knew that God did it. So God was preparing him to show him that, Hey, Elijah, you're nothing. You're just speaking for me. I'm sending you to do a job, and I'm going to work through you, but it's all me doing it. All you're doing is delivering it here. And I think Elijah was understanding that. He was preparing him for this uh, chapter 18 when he challenges the Baal uh, prophets here because he had to understand this when he went before them here. But in chapter 18 is where he confronts Baal prophets and the fire from heaven falls down. But he challenges them here. He's tired of this. He's tired of hearing about their gods and everything. He said there's only one God. You know, I get tired of hearing that. I get tired of hearing it across America. I get tired of hearing about all these religions and everything. I get tired of it. There's only one God. There's only one. There's always been one. That's what Elijah says. He said, I'm tired of this. I'm going to challenge you to a a fire here. And he calls out, tells Ahab to get them all in here. Get all you prophets in here. 450 of them show up. 450. Boy, they must have been a... Bunch of those rascals that were worshipping these idols. I mean, they come in and he's all by himself. One man, one solitary soul steps up and he's facing 450 of them. And these were evil, mean, murderous individuals right here. You know, Penny and I got to watching a few years ago this series, Vikings, that comes on. I don't know if some of you see. And I got thinking when I studied that. Now, it's a, it's a mean, vile happening in that, but if you've watched it, the Vikings are always talking about their gods. Pleasing the gods. Pleasing the gods. You know, when I got to thinking, these Baal worshipers must have been just like those Vikings. They, they, they were evil. Murder was nothing. Vile. Uh, uh, offering sacrifices to their gods. Killing. Murdering. Just Terrible if you've seen it, how vile that they were. They, the English were scared to death of them. The French were scared to death of them because they were so vicious. So vicious. And they were always wanting to appease their gods. Their gods. Their gods. And here's Elijah. He's standing in front of all these. It's just like the Vikings, you'd say. With all their gods. And, and God is preparing him right here. He's got him brave and he understands it's God going to do it here. And he tells them, he says, you get us two bulls. And you prepare them on the altar. And I'm going to let you go first. He says, you take your bull, you put him on your altar, and you pray to your gods. And the first, and I pray to mine, and the first one that sends fire, that's the God. And they said, okay. So they started, they prepared their bull on the altar there of the coals, put a fire to it, or it put it on the under, under, ready for the fire. And they started praying. All 450 started praying to their gods, many gods that they had over and over calling their names. And then they prayed until noontime. Well, Elijah, just, he's just having fun with them now. And he says to them, he says, well, pray a little louder.
1: Pray a little louder. He
0: doesn't hear you. You know, maybe he's went on a trip. Maybe he's gone. He says, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he just can't hear very good. Speaking a little louder to him, he's sort of poking fun at him here and making fun of the gods. And so they start cutting themselves, bleeding all over the place, and offering blood sacrifices to their gods. Nothing happens. Nothing happens till the the evening, of the, the the sacrifice hour in the evening there. And then it's Elijah's turn. Nothing has happened. Elijah takes his bull and he has them to prepare it. He builds an altar with twelve stones. Twelve stones for the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he tells them to take four bowls, and you d- drench it three times. That's twelve. Twelve again. <laughs> and he's poured it all over this bull. Wets it. and it says it's so wet that it's soaking in the rocks and the dirt. It pours over them. He dug a trench around the altar. The trench is full of water. The whole thing is just soaking with water. And then Elijah, he kneels down and he prays to God. He prays and God sends a fire down. It was so hot that when it hit it, it burned up. It said the rocks and the water and the dust that was in the the altar there. You talk about an event. Now fire that's that hot is pretty hot. (laughs) He got their attention. God got their attention. God let him perform a miracle that got the people's attention here. And said, "Look here, this is the God here. Your God can't do anything. And these people around the world, that uh, there's a been a special. I didn't even watch it, but the man he he went to all over the world. You might have saw it, and he questions about their religions that they have. He goes all over the world, and uh, the the crazy ideas that some of them have about being reincarnated and different things like this." that people live and die and believe this stuff. And and here these were into it. Well, He proved who His God was here. And He had the 450 taken down and executed because God wanted rid of these evil, perverted bunch of people that was destroying His people here. That seems cruel, but that was Old Testament times. And that was the times that, that God didn't just mess around with people. He told them to do it. And uh, sometimes we need to uh, take a lesson from some of this. But you know, and then the last miracle that he does there is where the coming of the rain. In the last part of the 18th chapter there in verse 41, Elijah, he tells Ahab to go get in his chariot that is fixing to rain. He goes up on top of Mount Carmel. He sits down, puts his head between his knees. He tells his servant to go look over the hill. And he sends him seven times. Seven times. Six times he doesn't see anything. The seventh time he sees a little cloud about the size of his hand. You notice he went seven times. There's seven days in a week. Seven colors in a rainbow. There's seven notes in music. All over the Bible is seven. It's completion. It's fulfillment. It's completed here And so it was completed here. The drought was over. It was completed. God was sending the rain that He sent here. You know, and then, this was the miracles. This is where He's on a high right here. He leaves here. He's brought fire down from heaven. He's known as a fire prophet. Now then He gets to where me and you are a lot of times. Chapter 19 is where Elijah shows that he's human. That he's just a human man right here. He proves he's human. He becomes discouraged. He gets fearful, and he questions God, and he's dealing with depression. He's dealing with depression. <laughs> you know, I'm glad that God shows us that, aren't you? Has anybody in here ever been depressed? Hey, anybody ever not been depressed in your whole life? I doubt it. God, He shows us and gives us lessons in the Bible. He gives us a great man like Elijah that was walking on cloud nine that just prayed fire from heaven. And He goes over, and Ahab goes and tells his evil wife what He's done. And she says, you, She gets a servant. She says, You go tell that Elijah that by this time tomorrow, I'm going to do the same to him as He did to all my prophets. And what does Elijah do? He stood before four hundred and fifty evil men, and he scared a one wicked woman, you know. <laughs> and he runs, and he hides. He turns tail and runs here, and he, and he goes out in that nineteenth chapter, and he sits down, and uh, he's took his eyes off of God. He's tired. He's wore out. He wants to give up. He tells God, let me die right here. He's dealing with it. But you know, uh, John R. W. Stroh, he was a great Bible teacher. He said this about Christians. He said, the Christians' two chief occupational hazards are depression and discouragement. And that's pretty true. The two chief occupational hazards of Christians is depression and discouragement. That's why it's so much in the Bible here for us to do this, to look at it. God knows what's going to happen with us and how we are. Even Elijah, even Elijah is getting depressed and discouraged right here. He wants to give up. He wants to quit right here. You know, but depression is a feeling of helplessness and hopelessness that leads to sadness. And that's, that's pretty much, we all know what that is. In James 5 and 17 is where James tells us that Elijah had like feelings. He tells us that he is human. He is a human here. He mentions it because of what he did with this here. But, you know, but helplessness and hopelessness, that it means a great deal to people's health and, and all that. We know that from hospitals and sickness and so forth. You know, just to demonstrate that how powerful it is. There, there was a film made years ago with a lady named Jane Goodall. She was a scientist and she studied chimpanzees for years and years and years. She lived with them. She worked and slept with them for years. And and, and she had this one old chimpanzee, female chimpanzee, and she had a baby. And she was really old, too old to have it, but she did, and she just spoiled that little old chimp. She wouldn't wouldn't wing him. She just let him get to be a teenage chimp, and he still hung on to her, and he was just spoiled. So finally the old chimp died beside the creek down there. That little old teenage chimp, he couldn't get over his mother. He was so depressed that she died. He sat down on the bank of that creek, and he sat there, and he quit eating. He got sick, and he died. And he died from depression a chimpanzee did. Now, if a dumb animal can do this, you know that mankind can do this. And and that was all that was wrong with him here. But it says, though, saying that the best of men are but men at their best. You know, they're just men. Psalms 39 and 5 says, Every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Altogether vanity. Without God, it's like Elijah here. He was just a man. Without God, he was nothing. Amen. God wanted to prove that to him. You're nothing, Elijah, without me. But with me, you can do all things. You can do great things. That's why a church without God is nothing. But a church with God can do great things Amen. that God can work through them here. You know, Elijah, he was a textbook burnout right here. See if you've some of these. He was physically exhausted. He was give out. He lost his appetite. He didn't want to eat. He was depressed about himself and about his work that he had done. He was full of self-pity. What did he say? I only am left. But that wasn't true. That wasn't true. He wasn't the only one. You know, <laughs> he wanted to die. He wanted to die, but I told you a while ago he doesn't even ever have to die. <laughs> He's one of the two special ones that just goes on up to heaven in that whirlwind. He felt like he'd failed and he wanted to quit right here. Well God, you know, God doesn't see it that way. God understood what he felt like. He he saw it. He understands what you and I feel like. He knows when we get like that. And He cares about it. He tells us in Psalms 103. I I want to read that about how He's concerned. Psalms 103, verses 13 and 14. It says, Like as a father pitieth or concerned about his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame, and He remembereth that we are dust. He is concerned about our discouragement. He's concerned about our mental state. God is concerned about that. He wants us because we are His children. We don't want them to be that way. Would you and I want our children to be that way? Of course not. we do whatever we could to get them out of that state and into a positive state. And that's what God wants us to do. And that's what He wanted to do with Elijah. He wasn't through with Elijah. Elijah just thought he was through with life and he had nothing more to do. He had to anoint his great successor, Elisha, that was coming on. And he had to go to him here. But God cares. What did God do for him? What did God? He gave him some rest, didn't He? He set him down and let him get some good sleep and rest. He brought him some food. The Lord cooked him some food. (laughs) <laughs> that must have been some more meal, wasn't it? Because it lasted him for 40 days. The Lord brought him something real special, didn't he? And uh, so, he, and he, then he took him up on top of a mountain. And he said, Elijah, I want to show you something. He said, you've been the prophet of fire here, but I want to show you something. He took him up on top of the mountain. He says, you think you're the only one left? He put him inside a cave up there. And while he was in the cave, a great storm came by, a wind that said a tornado tore up the rocks, destroyed so much of the mountain there. But it says that God was not in the storm. Then there was an earthquake came along and shook up the whole mountain. But the Bible says, but God was not in the earthquake. Then He sent a fire that burned into the mountain. But it says God was not in the fire. And then I've always loved this part. I think it was about the second sermon I ever preached on, but there was, then it was a still, small voice and it was God was in it. How many of you and I have ever found God in an earthquake? How many have ever found Him in a tornado? But how many has ever found Him in a still, small voice? That's the only way I've ever found Him is in that way. It's in a still, small voice that He speaks to us. That's the way He convicted me. That's the way He saved me. That's the way He speaks to me Now, that's the way he inspires me. It's just through a small, still, quiet feeling voice that he gives here. And, and he did that for Elijah here that he gave him there. And then he comes to Elijah, and two times in verse 9 and 13, he says, he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> and God comes to him and he says, What are you fearing? You feared one wicked old woman said, I control the earthquakes. I control the fire. I control uh, the storms. But you don't have to have all that. Elijah, a still small voice is good enough. That's the way I'm talking to you. What are you fearing here? I control everything. Everything. You know, God's Word. I want to read this to you. This is God's Word. God's Word comes down like a gentle shower. It refreshes, it cleanses, and it produces life. Isn't that the way it is? A spring rain, it comes down, a gentle rain. How good it smells, how refreshed everything looks, how it produces life. That's what God's Word is. It's right there. In, in, In Isaiah 55 and 10, He says... For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but waters the earth and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. And it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. Amen. That's what he was telling him here. And uh, another man, his name was J. Oswald Sanders. He said that the whispers from Calvary are, are infinitely more potent than the thunders of Mount Sinai in bringing men to repentance. Bringing men to repentance. How many in here was brought to repentance by a still, small voice? It wasn't a miracle. It wasn't a shaking of the house. It wasn't a storm going on. You know, I've heard preachers say, well, I really preach to them at funerals because I got them in a broken heart situation there. I don't agree with that. God comes with a still, small voice. It's not from a broken heart, from something else. That might get their attention and it might get them to thinking about it. But God's got to talk to them first with it. And you don't scare them and shake them and pull them and tug them and drag them and all this stuff. It's a still, small voice is what gets you there still small voice is what saves you and that's what will get it done amen but he tells him here he says I have 7,000 in Israel that's not bowed to Baal amen. he says they will not bow they will not bow they are mine you are not alone he said, I love you and you are mine <laughs> he tells Elijah he says you are not alone Elijah you say you're the only one left nobody sees it they're all gone we're losing all of our elders here. They're all gone. We're all alone. Boy, I can relate. I told you, when uh, I could relate a lot to Elijah there about these feelings that he had. But he says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? He says, what are you afraid of? I'll show you who's in control of it and what's going to do it. He says, you're mine and you're not alone. Hebrews 13 and 5 says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Thank God, thank God, He won't never leave us or forsake us. You know that song we sung, Palms of Victory? You know the palms were used to throw in front of Jesus as He came into Jerusalem on the donkey. It was a symbol of a king coming, it was a symbol of royalty. But palms of victory, crowns of glory. Amen. Get us a song, Mike. If you need to pray this morning, you come and bow down. we love to pray with you. Amen. Get closer to the Lord than you have been. Man. <clears throat> someone else have you ever been closer than you are right now have you